0: Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll be looking at the entire chapter 1 through 13. God's providence, he's had us at this passage on what our culture celebrates as Father's Day, and so it's an appropriate thing to consider the love of our good Heavenly Father uh, this morning as we dwell on this chapter. Perhaps we often think of this passage, though, as as one that would be read at, at weddings, uh, to lift up the, the beauties of, of uh, romantic love, and I'm sure it would have some application there. Um, but Paul's, in Paul's context, or when Paul is writing, he's writing specifically about brothers and sisters in the church, uh, the love that ought to characterize our life together. And maybe there's no other subject uh, than that of love that has occupied humankind's attention like the subject of love. You think about the many books that have been written about love. You think about the many songs that have been written about uh, loving, being loved, being broken by love that has been spurned. Uh, You think about all the movies across genres, comedies, of course, romances, dramas, thrillers, almost all of them include at least some element of love. Volumes of books, of course, have been written as well. But despite all of this, no one has captured the excellence of love quite like Paul has in this passage, like God has in this passage. It is his word. It's not only an informational passage, it is that. But notice also, it's a poetic passage. As you read it, you begin to be carried away in the wonder and the mystery, which is love. And Paul, it seems, is not only reflecting on what the Corinthians are lacking, he certainly is, but he's also reflecting, surely, on the supreme expression of love, which is Jesus Christ crucified for sinners. All the stories that have been written to pull on our heartstrings expressing the wonder of love, there are none which match this one or even come close, the story which transcends them all, the story which go, will go on and on into eternity, living on after all the others have died. This is the story that we will rejoice in and sing for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Christ crucified for sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God became a man to pay the debt that man owed to God. This is love, brothers and sisters. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And this love which God has had for us has been planted in our hearts. All of us who have been born again. We have received this message by faith and this love that God has planted in our hearts is bringing forth fruit within us in deeds of kindness and service and sacrifice to others. But it's clear from Paul's writing to the Corinthians that something was wrong. Whenever the love of God has been planted in someone's heart, if they do not respond in loving others, something is wrong. So you can see all the, the areas, even throughout our history, in which something has been wrong. I think most clearly of slavery, slavery within the states and how professing believers did not love those who had been made in the image of God. There was something wrong there when God's love that had been planted in their hearts did not produce fruit and in, in love for others. Whenever you see that, something is wrong. This love of God for the Corinthians wasn't being translated into the love of God in them for others. They were more concerned about themselves than one another. And so at the end of chapter 12, Paul tells them, earnestly desire the higher gifts. In other words, earnestly desire those gifts which tend to build up others within the church. But, he says, there's something even higher than the highest gifts. There's something even more excellent than these wonderful gifts, that even the ones that build up one another in the church. And it is love. Look with me at chapter 13, 1 Corinthians. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Our Father, we thank you for your word. It is always evident to us that your word is a treasure. But we recognize beauty in these words. They are, they are too high to attain for us. We know that you have loved us with this kind of love. And So as we study this passage, as we consider it, we pray that we would be filled with awe at your love for us and that you would use these words to, uh, to, again, plant your love in our hearts that we might love one another. We might measure ourselves against these things, that we might go to you for grace, that you might produce fruit in us, the fruit of love for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The more excellent way is the way of love. And since the more excellent way is love we must pursue it for one another. That's what Paul commands in chapter 14, verse 1. He says, Pursue love. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. See, love is not something that we merely feel. Love is something we pursue for one another. Just as God has pursued us in love, So now we pursue one another in love. It is an active pursuit for the sake of others. We do it for the sake of Christ. So this morning I want our minds to be filled with what it means to love. What it means to love one another. In this chapter we see that love is the most excellent way. So as we examine these words, Paul's really exposition of love in some ways, let us consider four aspects of love. So here they are. Notice... It's necessity, it's personality, it's perseverance, and it's preeminence. So I've got three Ps there. Not, not quite, didn't make all four. But it's necessity, it's personality, it's perseverance, and it's preeminence. So look, notice the necessity of love in this passage. In verses 1 through 3, Paul brings up several hypothetical situations. If I were to speak all kinds of tongues of men and of angels earthly and heavenly. If I were to do this but not have love, he says, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. In other words, there's no use to it. There's no benefit to it. You're just making a lot of noise and it's kind of loud and annoying. Paul says, if I were to have all kinds of prophetic powers, if I were to have all knowledge and understanding, if I were to have faith to work miracles but didn't have love, then I am nothing. Nothing. We talked a few weeks ago about what it would be like to have superpowers. Well, you look at this list, and even the world would think that would be impressive. If I had faith to move mountains, this is big stuff. Just think about how great you could be in the eyes of the world if you could move mountains around. But without love, Paul says, you would be nothing. Paul goes further, if I gave away all my possessions... And if I gave up my very life in martyrdom, but didn't have love, I gain nothing. Or, another way of putting it, it counts for nothing. And what Paul is getting at with these hypothetical situations is this. If we want to be anything, if we want to gain anything, if we want our lives to count for anything, then we must have love for one another. Even the greatest of gifts, even the greatest of sacrifices, if they are not accompanied by love, they are worthless. If these gifts and sacrifices aren't accompanied by a genuine care and concern for the other, then Paul says it counts for nothing. What really gets to the heart of spirituality... Remember, this is what the Corinthians were concerned about. Their spirituality, the expression of their own gifts. What it, you know, They wanted to look spiritual among one another. But re- what really gets to the heart of spirituality is not self-expression through gifts or actions, but through love for others. A genuine care and concern for others. See, there's an earthly way of ranking gifts and talents and sacrifices... And then there's a heavenly way of ranking them. The earthly way says, how much money did she give? How big was the gift? How great was the sacrifice? Just take a look at donations made to large corporations or nonprofits. We see the value, supposedly, of of someone by the amount of their gift, by the greatness of their gift. But the heavenly accounting is different. It says, how much care and concern was given to the other person? In one instance, the attention goes to the individual, the giver, the sacrificer. But in the other instance, the attention goes to the other person. The attention goes away from the individual to the others, to the corporate body. And what this means is that the biggest gift is nothing without love. And also the smallest act of kindness, if it's accompanied by love, is of immense value. So consider this for your own gifts and actions. Are they mainly self-directed or are they mainly others-directed? To help you evaluate this, let me ask you a few questions. Do you often think that you make a greater sacrifice than others make? Have you often thought, well, if everyone would just do things the way I do them, if everyone would give like me, if everyone would serve like me, if everyone would sacrifice like me, well, then our church would have no limits. We would be a great church. Do you, do you often pity yourself because no one recognizes the value of your gifts and sacrifice? Do you think that your gifts are too little to be of any real value? If you answered yes to any of these There there may be a chance, there's a very real chance that you are evaluating your gifts, your service, your sacrifice by the earthly way of evaluating them and not the heavenly way. But maybe the flip side is true for some people. The other side is the person who says, I love my church. I love my church, but then there's no real practical evidence of that love for others in acts of service, in kindness, in giving of time and service. You can't do all of these practical things without love. Paul says it's worthless, but love will lead you to do all these practical things. So let us examine ourselves in this. Love is the essential ingredient in all of our works, in all of our gifts, in all of our sacrifices. Brothers and sisters, let us pursue love for one another. Let's be active and generous in pursuing love. Let's be liberal in our giving of love to one another. But Paul's not content to let his words stay at this. Because So so that the Corinthians aren't confused by what he means about loving others, he he gives an exposition of love. He describes what love is. So we see its necessity, but now turn to its personality. Verses 4 through 7. Notice the way Paul writes, as if love is a person. Love has certain character traits, if you will. It does certain things. It avoids certain other things. And one name Paul probably has here, is that he would contrast the Corinthian behavior, the Corinthian motivations and attitudes with this, with love, so that they might be considered and recognize their their own sin. The fact that they weren't loving one another, that they were judging their spirituality by things that weren't about love and true spirituality. So let's use these verses as well to think about what love is, Comparing and contrasting with our own uh, inner motivations and with our own actions. First, Paul says love is patient. And particularly, this is when it um, has to do with other people. Love is patient with other people. I can't help but think of many situations that I've encountered being a pastor or an associate pastor where I'd have marriage counseling. And each person within the marriage would be bold in proclaiming their love for the other person, for their spouse. And yet it was clearly evidence that there, evident that there didn't seem to be an ounce of patience that they would have with one another. They would get angry at the drop of the hat. They would be eager to point the finger at the other person. There was such a lack of impatience that it did not look like love. But patience involves suffering of some kind. Have you ever thought about that? Patience involves some sort of delay some sort of challenge, some sort of struggle or pain, some wrongdoing perhaps. In the absence of some challenge, it's not possible to practice patience. But love is full of patience. It is also kind, Paul says. In other words, love is not only patient with people, she treats others with gentleness and with goodness. Even if they are a bit thorny, and difficult to get along with. Have you dealt with people maybe in your job. Maybe in your home who are a bit prickly. Just difficult to, to be gentle and kind to. But this is love. This is what love is. Love does not envy the place or giftings of others. And she doesn't boast about her own gifts or standing. In her interactions with others. She is not arrogant or rude. That word rude refers to acting inappropriately or unseemly. I'm sure you have noticed in uh, politics lately the arrogance and rudeness. This probably always accompanied politics in some way. Look look through the history books and you'll see the rudeness with which politicians attacked one another. But it does seem that this arrogance and rudeness uh, and inappropriate sharpness and bitterness has trickled down in our social media age to families and schools and communities. And I want to suggest that being kind isn't about so-called political correctness. Treating others with respect and gentleness isn't about political correctness. The issue in our interactions with one another and with those outside of the church is nothing less than love. It has to do with love. And so really, with this sort of atmosphere in our culture, we stand at a point in the life of our culture in which the church can provide a clear contrast between what love is and what love is not. So consider your own interactions with one another, maybe even those who are closest to you. Children, consider how you treat your brothers and sisters. How do you treat your parents? With what sort of attitude? Husbands and wives, how do you treat one another? How do you speak to one another? Employers and employees or with your neighbors? How many of you are on the next door app? Uh, it's a social media thing between neighbors. And it's amazing the, the sort of bitterness and rudeness I see in, in some of those posts. Just, I just want to be a peacemaker. Come on, y'all, let's, let's come together. At least be kind to one another. There's such an opportunity for us to model what love looks like within our culture. Is there a rudeness to your actions? Think especially in those times where your blood pressure is rising a little bit. When there's, there's tension in the relationship. You have to maybe say something that's not going to be received well. Or someone says something to you that stings a little bit. What characterizes your interactions? Is there a bitterness to your speech or a sharpness to your response? Friends, recognize this is not love. Love is not rude. Love is not unseemly. Does not act inappropriate inappropriately. Related to this is the next personality trait of love. She does not insist on her own way. In other words, she's not self-seeking. Now notice in all of these characteristics so far that love is directed towards the other and not toward the self. So our culture is obsessed with a sort of love which is not others-focused. Think about this. But is actually often self-seeking or self-directed. So a man might say he loves a woman. He, He loves her so much. But if he loves her merely for what she does to fulfill his life, fulfill his own personal needs and desires, that is not love. That is love of self rather than love for her. She simply becomes a means to get what it is that he wants, whether some emotional need, some physical need, whether it's his need to impress others with the sort of woman he has, But love is diametrically opposed to manipulation and self-gratification. It is not self-seeking. We would do well, brothers and sisters, to consider ways we might be guilty of manipulating other people in order to get what we really want. Using people to get what we want. It may masquerade as love, but it is not love. Not as the scripture defines it. Love does not use others to get what she wants. Rather, she gives of herself for the good of others, to meet their needs, to build them up, to strengthen them. Paul goes on and says that love is not irritable or resentful. Perhaps more accurately, you could say that love doesn't count up a record of wrongs. Now think about in baseball how you have a scorekeeper and they're, they're diligently marking every single pitch, every single base hit, every out, every action that takes place on the field. They're diligently and carefully marking down every one of them. And so often, with those we are closest with, we can take this approach to their faults. Marking down, tracking down in our minds those ways they have offended us, those ways they have hurt us, Perhaps even now you are harboring some bitterness in your heart towards someone who has hurt, hurt you badly and you, you can't let go of it and you mark up a tally of all the wrongs that they have done to you. And I think if we're honest, this is probably one of the most difficult demands that love makes of us. It's difficult to forget and to forgive what someone else has done to harm us. But love is forgetful in this regard. Love is eager to forgive. So consider your own relationships. Are you guilty of keeping a running tab on those who offend you or annoy you or speak rudely to you? Now this isn't to say that we just sweep sweep sin under the rug. Because Jesus teaches us how to deal with sin. We ought to address it first between ourselves and the person who sinned, then include a couple of others if they refuse to repent, and then bring it to the church if they refuse to repent. But in some situations, and once the issue has been resolved, once the sin has been repented of, we cannot hold it over the other person's head in order to use it as leverage against them. And our our relationships, especially our marriages and family and church relationships, cannot be characterized by sort of leveraging these things against one another in order to get what we want. And then there are just some sins which are mere annoyances that we can just, we can just brush off of our shoulders and go our way. There's no, way, no reason to count up the wrongs, to keep a record of these wrongs with one another. In other words, we ought to bear with one another, patiently, being slow to take offense. Paul goes on still, love does not rejoice with wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So love does not rejoice at the failures of others, and she doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. Love is not opposed to the truth, but rejoices with the truth. Love is not somehow uninterested in morality, as some might say in our culture. They just want to pursue love, and yet their lives are filled with immorality and unrighteousness. But wherever God's truth is denied, love mourns. Love bears all things. The idea here seems to be the providing of a cover for. So as a good roof covers and protects the family which lives within, so a loving friend bears up under pressure and storms in order to protect those who are close to him. Love believes all things. Not in the sense of believing everything that anyone says, because love rejoices with the truth, remember. But it means that we believe the best about one another. We give one another the benefit of the doubt. Love hopes all things. In other words, evil never has the final word. God will keep His promises, and He will win in the end. God triumphs over all. Therefore, we are right to hope in his promises. Love endures all things. The commentator Leon Leon Morris says, This is the endurance of the soldier who in the thick of battle is undismayed but continues to go about his work. Love is not overwhelmed but forcefully plays its part whatever the difficulties. Love endures. We would do well, brothers and sisters, to make ourselves well acquainted with this passage, to familiarize ourselves with how the Scripture teaches about love. Now, let's not take our cues and our definitions from the movies we see, from the songs that we sing along with on the radio, from our culture, but from the Word of God and the Son of God who is truly the personification of love. Jesus Christ fulfills each of these descriptions of love. So consider for yourself His patience with you and His kindness with you. When you were in the midst of your sins, brothers and sisters, when you responded harshly to that other person, when you responded with rudeness, when you had evil thoughts and intentions in your mind, when you were harboring hatred in your heart toward someone else, made in the image of God, when you were impatient with someone, consider the patience of God with you. He didn't simply toss you aside because of your sin. He didn't boast or arrogantly thumb his nose at you. He didn't insist on his own way, but patiently obeyed the Father's will. Jesus truly bore all things for you who are saved. He bore the wrath of God for you. Shielding you from what you deserved. Bearing up under the anger and judgment that you had stored up for yourself by your lack of love for him and for others. And he did this all in love for you, Christian. Despite your impatience. Despite your unkindness and arrogance and rudeness. Despite your self-seeking nature. He did this for you. And by His grace, you are forgiven of your sins. And this is a love which will not quit on us. He does not love you today in Christ and then stop loving you tomorrow in Christ. He will love us today just as He loved us yesterday and He will love us tomorrow and forever with an everlasting love, an enduring love. This is a persevering love. This moves us to our third point, this, this perseverance of love. Paul says love never ends. Prophecies, tongues, and knowledge, he says, are all temporary and limited. But love goes on forever. He, says, he gives a couple of analogies. When a child grows up to be a man, he lays aside those things that were limited and weak. Now we see and understand things as though we're looking in a clouded mirror. But then when the end comes, when Christ shall come, we will see Him face to face. We will know Him fully just as He has fully known us. There is a lot I could say about this section, but I want to limit myself just to this this couple ideas. First, how foolish is it to eagerly and zealously pursue something that is temporary while ignoring something which is eternal. How foolish is it to eagerly and zealously pursue something that is temporary while ignoring something which is eternal. So you'll remember the saying from Jim Elliot who said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. On the mission field, he gave his physical and earthly life. He died, but he gained an eternal rest in heaven with God. And in the same way, why would we pursue temporary and limited gifts and activities to the net neglect of love which never ends? Paul clearly said we should desire the spiritual gifts which build up the church, but he's not saying that to the exclusion of love. We ought to recognize the enduring nature of love and pursue it as that which is supreme. So consider your pursuits. Children, teenagers, adults, consider your pursuits. What is it that you're striving for in your life? A bigger bank account, nicer things, a beautiful appearance, a more prestigious job, more power, more recognition for your service and sacrifice, maybe just a more comfortable life, an easier life, a good retirement. I'm not saying that none of these things might be appropriate, but consider the relationship between those things and how you're pursuing love. Love is the thing among all those things which will last through eternity. Because love will endure through eternity, we must make pursuing love one of our highest priorities. Let's look finally at the preeminence of love. We've seen its necessity, its personality, and its perseverance. Now consider its preeminence. Verse 13 is a simple verse. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. John Calvin says, In regards to the reckoning up of account, when everything has been deducted, this is the sum that remains. In other words, we've been talking about these gifts, these acts of service, this sacrifice, but here's what it all comes down to, these three. Faith, hope, and love. So, brothers and sisters, let us have faith. Faith in God, ultimately, and faith in one another as we journey alongside of one another to our heavenly home. Let us have hope, a persevering faith and hope, a steady hope in God to fulfill His promises to us. Hope in one another and support for one another in the faith. Brothers and sisters, let us love one another. Paul says the greatest of these is love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Loved ones, let us love one another. For love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But the one who doesn't love doesn't know God, for God is love. How, how might we express our love for one another in a way that would shine brightly for our culture to see? Week in and week out, acts of service and kindness, all motive, motivated by not a concern for ourselves, not a concern for our own glory or, or recognition, but a, a sincere concern for one another. This week, how might you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? How might you look through this passage and consider ways you're falling short and ways you could do better in order to love one another? God has been rich in His love for us. He has made love shine forth in our hearts in order that we might shine forth to one another. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank You for Your love. It's Father's Day as we consider your goodness to us as a heavenly Father. We pray that not only would we receive your love for us in Christ, that we would be ready to, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance and faith and pouring out the love that you have given us to others. Father, help us to recognize the ways that we have fallen short and sinned, both Things that we have done we shouldn't have done and things that we have not done that we should have done. Father, you say that um, your son says that the world will know us by our love for one another and we pray that by your spirit that would be true of us at Christ Church Rollsville. Would you do this work in us? Would you bear fruit in our hearts through this, this word, through this sermon, through this passage? this week and in the weeks to come. All for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.